Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. This week, we're focusing on believing in the dreams of others, specifically in your spouse's dream. And I can't think of a better example of this than our guests today, Steve and Sarah Doubledam. The man's job in marriage is to like water that seed, right? And to do whatever you can within your own power to cultivate the dreams of your spouse. Because God's vision for marriage is that when we combine our dreams together or combine our skills and our talents together, there's multiplication. And so I think when people get married, you need to throw away what your vision is for your life. And you need to say, okay, God, what is the vision you're calling us to together? It's always so amazing when you meet a couple like this, that on their own, they both are doing great things, but together, they are really changing the world. For Steve, he has a company called Wilderness Collective, and it's this unique experience that he takes men out into the wilderness, no cell phones, no connectivity, where they really have an opportunity to experience nature, but also have a moment to unwind and reconnect with what's going on inside of them. And they are doing unbelievable things. And Sarah, she is the founder of Darling Media, And they have created this magazine that literally is changing the world. They're the very first women's magazine that committed to not retouching the models and the women inside of their issues. Yeah, both Wilderness and Darling are really speaking to a healthy view of identity for both men and women. They are wise beyond their years. They are a breath of fresh air. You guys are going to love them. And I really love that Steve's dream, as you'll hear, came on the other side of helping bring Sarah's dream to life. It was really such a sweet part of the conversation. So make sure you listen for that towards the end. You are going to love the double dams. You know, the thing for me that really stood out is that they both are driven, they're entrepreneurs, and they have dreams, but they got to do it together. Build each other up, build each other's dreams, and still love each other and have a kid and try and figure out this wild ride called Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and life. Yeah, and you will hear over and over how they value each other. They value each other's strengths and their giftings. They value each other's dreams and ideas. And it's just so huge. So we cannot wait for you guys to hear and learn from them just as we did. All right, guys. Here's Sarah and Steve. All right. Well, Steve and Sarah, welcome to the show. We're glad you guys are here. Thanks for having us. Yeah going to be a lot of fun. All right. So we just want you guys to know that we massively look up to you and just love what you're doing and what you've created. And so thank you for the impact that you both have made with both of your companies. And we cannot wait to dive into that today. But before we get to these amazing companies, let's (laughs) talk about the amazing Double Dams and how in the world did you guys meet? What is your story? Uh, So I had a friend in Portland who told me that I should meet these two guys named Steve and Steve. Um, (laughs) Was it a band? (laughs) (laughs) They were like a band. I was like, that sounds cool. He's like, they're these two Canadian guys and they work in fashion and they just moved to LA. You should totally meet them because you're starting Darling. And uh, Okay, so I met up with one of the Steves, but my Steve was stuck in Canada with immigration issues. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, but... (laughs) We'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Business slash visa slash issues. But he said, you know, when Steve gets back, I can't wait for you to meet him. And then that day he called you. And what did he say? I mean, something to the effect of like, I met your future wife. So he like, he called it into, into being. That's awesome. Nice. Good You're like, him. oh, I, I got to get back down there. And so a few months later, I was working at a fashion trade show when I used to do modeling. And they popped into my head and I texted the other Steve and went to their their booth. And at the it was the Vegas Project trade show. And I met Steve there. And then we, we just started texting all day. And I thought he was so funny. And then we went on a date. Yeah, pretty much right when we got back. When we got back, we went yeah. on a date. And we dated for three years after that. Well, at least he wasn't like, hey, man, I found my future wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Good, good on him for, uh, you know, knowing that she was not his wife. Yeah. That's good. yeah. So yeah. how long have you guys been married? Uh, it'll be eight years in June. Good oh, job. Oh, nice. That's great. Good job, guys. Eight years Thanks. and how many kids? 
We have one boy named Judah, and he's two and a half. Such a fun age. We love to. I love that age. So fun. All right, so you both run these incredible, thriving companies that are doing so much good in the world, Darling and Wilderness. Let's talk about the inception of each of these dreams and how you guys helped each other bring them to life. Okay, I'll start. Yeah. Um, so Darling started because one of my good friends, Kelly and I, were having a conversation over coffee one day about how there wasn't any positive women's media or mentor voice telling you how to be as a woman, how to do anxiety and depression and, and breakups and all the different things that you're facing. So we thought, well, why don't we just create our own magazine? That's what we need, like really intuitively based off of what we would want to read about and who we would want to be. So we started by writing the mission statement. That's, um, you know, the core of our entire company. Now that's where everything started because we Googled how to start a company and that's what it said. <laughs> and so from there we thought, now how should we, you know, come up with the different sections. So we came up with this idea of these eight personas that represent different areas of a woman's life. So like the dreamer, the achiever, the intellectual, the confidant, the beautician, the stylist, and the explorer and the hostess. And so they were these eight sections that represented a woman's life. And so that's what we were really building everything upon. And then when I met Steve, I basically had all of that foundation laid, but he said, why are you doing anything with this? Why don't you put it out into the world? Let's let's do this. So he helped us build a really simple WordPress website, designed our first logo, because of course he just knew how to do graphic design and all the things, and then helped us launch our Kickstarter campaign, because he also knew how to shoot and edit video. So we did that. Wow. So he really <laughs> was the push to actually put it out there. And, you know, that was a very vulnerable moment to put that very strong mission statement on the internet and say we think that something is wrong with women and women's media and we think this is a new definition for a new wave of feminism slash femininity that we called it a more like a soft revolution so that's where all that started and how Steve really came in and pushed me forward in that and then since that day helped built the whole structure of the business has been there all along the way in the beginning he was there at a lot of different photo shoots and just helping set up all of our vendors with all the stores that we sold the magazine to and helping us transition from a magazine to a media company and just been there all along and just sacrificing so much for me and you know helping me build something that I was passionate about so thought it would be good to marry that guy you know yeah <laughs> like smart it's yeah very Canadian of you man be so helpful <laughs> so, and yeah. get in there and get your hands dirty and I gave him a green card, so, you know. There you go. It's a good trade-off. This is we're, we're even, you know. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally even. Hey, I do want to say this. You know, I don't want to underplay the risk that you took because, you know, you were in the modeling space. You'd kind of – that was your career, the people you met, and you're like, all right, I'm putting this big, scary thing out there. So right. it was a huge, it was a huge big step risk. for you. Yeah, mm, yeah. to go against everything. The industry I had been involved in, almost like a Robin Hood, and say, hey, let's change this around. There's – lack of representation of all different types of beauty and you know let's be the first magazine that doesn't photoshop women and and all of that it was definitely going against everything that i had just seen and thought needed to change so yeah well that is awesome good job steve helping bring this dream to life (laughs) and so let's talk about your dream man let's talk about what wilderness yeah um it's interesting. The inception, a bit of the inception for wilderness was because of the work that I was doing coming alongside Sarah and, you know, helping get Darling off the ground. Cause I'd started a few different businesses prior that weren't running anymore. And so I was helping Sarah get Darling off the ground and was really like experiencing firsthand the power of devoting yourself to someone else's dream. Cause prior to that, it was just like, I was always connected to my own dream. And so in pouring myself into helping get her thing off the ground it was really healthy for me in terms of you know just getting your ego centered and realizing like okay like it doesn't have to be my thing even though you know for a long time it was and I was finding myself helping Sarah have a conversation with women about identity and that was in a bunch of different formats, primarily the magazine. And so I was kind of like thinking to myself, well, hey, like I would love to do something like this for men, but obviously it needs to have a different expression. And then at the same time, I was having these inklings of, hey, I think there's a space for the 
adventure industry to be shaken up a little bit, do a better job of storytelling, really do a better job of telling the story that when we go out into wild spaces, there's the opportunity for us, you know, our inner person to be transformed, not just to have an external experience. So it was like all this stuff is kind of swirling around. And the fact that I just like doing adventurous stuff and I'm always the ringleader for my friends, dragging them into all these like crazy harebrained trips. And so that was kind of, you know, the impetus for the for starting Wilderness, you know, is that I wanted to have a conversation about character through the lens of exploration. And I thought that the best way to do that would be through, you know, kind of an inverted pyramid, right? So starting with the experience and this like high touch adventure experience, then layering on top of that a media element where we're telling those stories. And then on top of that, more of an inspirational part of the brand, which I would call our social media, where it's like, hey, anybody can just follow along and be inspired or whatever. So so that was some of what led to starting Wilderness. So I would say for Sarah and I, you know, getting that business off the ground, she was really just acting as like a a real support for me in that, whether it was just like a sounding board for messaging and hey, how do we take this, you know, really potent message that I care a lot about? How do we translate that into a language that, you know, the general public and culture can, you know, accept right now? And so, you know, when you first launched it, it actually wasn't accepted very well online. And now it's this really popular message, you know, for oh, we need to speak to men about this. And when you first launched it, people were like making fun of it about this idea of, you know, men going deeper and men being in touch, you know, with themselves as well. Yeah. When I launched the business, I launched it with a film that was sort of like a manifesto of like, here's what I think is wrong with modern masculinity. And basically that film sort of lit the internet on fire for a week or two. And so I had a lot of people who were like, yes, finally. And a lot of people are like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. So I I really touched on a raw nerve. And so that was the key thing to notice and say, okay, like in all this criticism, like what's true in this and what's the through line and what's the stuff that I just need to like let bounce off of me and not worry about. But then what, what is this do I need to listen to? And so, yeah, I mean, Sarah's just kind of been like a thought leader along the way for wilderness, because really, you know, we say it's not just adventure for adventure's sake, right? Like we are really trying to do something deeper with the brand. And Sarah's so talented at having a conversation with culture. Um, and so that really is, you know, kind of where we've bounced ideas off and kind of acted as an additional thought leader for wilderness. And I ride on the back of the dirt bike for scouting trips. Wow. <laughs> here and there, here and there. That's important. That's pretty awesome. That's really important. Which is terrifying, but that's okay. <laughs> that is awesome. That's so, great. So how did like, you put this out there, do you guys feel like it's, it's somewhat like you against the world? Because Steve seems like you were playing a little bit of the handbook of what you guys did for Darling. We're going to say, here's a different message. And maybe seems, and I'm sure Darling got it's both sides of it. People are like, yeah, you know, but it seems like yours got way more of like a visceral reaction. So what what happens when it's just the two of you in a room together going like, well, it's us. What do we do? (laughs) Like, what was that for you guys? What was that like? Yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, we've had those moments along the way, whether it's been things that we put out with Darling or, you know, it's like the, the ugly side of social media like when you are like a pretty big presence on there like there's definitely moments where you're kind of like disheartened at like the reaction of people maybe just not getting it or maybe you realize okay maybe then we're not communicating it in the way that people can get it you know so it's easy to feel sorry for yourself and be like man these people like we're trying to do something good and everybody sucks (laughs) And sometimes that's true. Like, yeah, right? Yeah. Believe me. It can be true. You know, sometimes people are just terrible. Like the film that I mentioned, like it was on Gawker. Like I was on the front page of Gawker. Like Gawker went out of business. We were like, bye. That's right. Yeah. So I know what, you know, I, I know what that feels like, but it's a little bit of what I said before that, you know, you need to come together. And I think that's where two people working in partnership can really help help you see clearly through like the fog, right? Uh, You know, like say like someone's coming after me for something with wilderness, Sarah can kind of help say, okay, like, wait, let's slow down for a beat here. And what's true here? What's not true? And kind of like, what are we focused on and get back to like, why are we doing this in the first place? And there's been several times with Darling where I've been able to talk Sarah down from, you know, being like, I am going to like, (laughs) 
comment back to this person right now and set them straight in front of 350,000 people. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no. We're, we're not going to do that. It's like, that's, that's a little harsh. Let's back it up. So yeah. We're both more like tempered, I think, in the way we Yeah, we've matured react. in yeah. that. Much slower or non-response is now our, our thing. And we often will like text each other like, hey, this person just said this. Do you think this is good? It's, you know, is how are we like diffusing things? Versus, yeah. So that's been a maturing point because it is hard when it's your thing and you're so passionate about it. And it is going against a lot of messaging. You just have to know that it's true and just say that those people are usually hurting too you know if they'll they'll say something really negative or really angry that's always coming from a deeper place so trying to see that too versus taking it personally is my number one go-to now you know like what's behind this versus this is offending me yeah Yeah. and there's there's two i think temptations to react you know in two polar different ways right so you can either say like i'm frustrated i'm mad that this person doesn't get what we're trying to do so i'm gonna go after them with like some moral high ground you know and just put them in their place you know the opposite temptation is to like shy away from that raw nerve that you've touched me like oh we're never gonna talk about that topic again right like for me okay we're never gonna like touch on modern masculinity again or we're never gonna try to say that there's a problem again because that hurt you know we touched that it was hot and you pull back (laughs) So I think that there's wisdom in the middle ground, um, which is to say, no, we're going to keep talking about things that matter. But since our goal is to talk to people who actually think differently than we do, we need to speak their language because our goal, Sarah and I's goal in life is not to, you know, to use the term preach to the choir, right? We're pretty passionate about speaking to like a middle space in culture where we feel like there's a lot of opposing viewpoints flying around and we would love to be a part of that conversation and add our voice into the mix that's good you're just choosing to be the grown-ups <laughs> so good job guys good job adulting yeah <laughs> that's so good well, you guys can take turns answering this one, but I'd love to hear, you talked about some of the obstacles that you've come, but let's talk about some of the victories because you guys are doing incredible work through both of the companies that you're running. What are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on? Maybe for you, Sarah, Sarah, some of the stories that have come out of Darling. Um, and then maybe for you, Steve, like some of your favorite trips that you've gotten to be a part of that have impacted you the most. I think for Darling, just the impact comes from a lot of emails that we get or DMs on social media. Just one story in particular that I that I always bring up is this girl wrote in and she said, I never felt beautiful or I was worth a second look in my life until I read Darling. And many more like that. But those just people saying like, this is, I live my life off of Darling. Like it's kind of like their Bible almost. Like they subscribe to the mindset and the mission statement so much that it is something that they look to every day for advice and wisdom. And that's exactly what we wanted to be is that, you know, voice of wisdom (laughs) for, for women. And then the second thing is the impact of us being the first no retouching magazine is that we really feel, I mean, you can't directly prove things, but that our influence on culture caused a lot of big brands to stop retouching like CVS and Target and other advertisements. I mean, we definitely created a lot of buzz through that. And it was really hard in the beginning. People didn't really see the vision. A lot of photographers didn't want to work with us. Models, model agencies are like, why can't you just, you know, edit this out, do this. And we just kept standing our ground and having a big page in the magazine that said none of the women in this magazine have been retouched. And just the impact of that has been really, really amazing just to see culture actually shift and know that you were, you know, riding that that wave of that vision in the beginning has just been incredibly, you know, rewarding. And we've heard stories of our friends who, you know, work at some big companies like big beer companies or clothing companies saying that Darlene is brought up a lot in meetings with their CMOs and vision boards, <laughs> like nice. you know, pictures from our magazine saying we need to be more like this where the, you know, the women are dressed modestly, but they still look really pretty and they're not over sexualized and not plastic retouch type of feel like this is where the future is heading. So I've heard several stories of my friends saying, oh, Darlene is brought up in this meeting or that meeting that I was a part of. It was so amazing. It was on this big screen. And so that has been 
really, really rewarding to know that you pushed through something that was the opposite and that it actually, you know, was somewhat instrumental in helping shift mindsets on something that was really big. Mm. That's huge. What about for you, Steve? Yeah, I think probably the biggest impact, like trips that have the biggest impact on the clients' lives has probably been the ones where they've broken bones. <laughs> Definitely. So Definitely. That's one of my gifts to the world is, you know, it's like the trip stays alive. In yeah. The they have the like a keeps metal plate. They yeah. have like a metal plate in their leg now, so... <laughs> So they'll remember Just it quickly. Forever. Show them the waiver. Remember when you signed all these documents? Uh, yeah, I have one guy who actually broke his wrist and his fibia and tibia on one of the trips. It was pretty bad. But then he came back two years later and like did the same trip and completed the whole thing. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, in terms of you know. I think I get personally impacted the most on the trips where I see the clients are, you know, guys come on these trips for all kinds of reasons, right? So it's never just about the adventure. Like they're there because they want to like reconnect with their grown 20 something kid who's on the trip with them, or they've been working some job for 10 years that they really hate and like have just not had a break. I have not even had an opportunity to think introspectively, to look inward and say, why am I headed the direction that I'm headed in life? And why am I headed here with the people around me? So I view my role and our company's role on the trips is to create a context for transformation for people, not to guarantee transformation. So I say, like, if you want to come on our trip and have an amazing motorcycle ride, you'll get that or an incredible snowmobile trip in Alaska, like we can deliver that. But if you want to come and come back a different person, you can also get that too. But it's up to you to like grab onto that, so to speak. You know, we're not going to like push you into that. So we definitely, um, I view it like our job is to start the conversation, right? So one of my mentors said like every guy wants to have these conversations about the deep things in life, whether that's fears or whether that's, you know, insecurities or whether it's, you know, confusion, whatever it may be, but most guys don't want to start it. So I think, okay, our job then is to start the conversation. So we build a distraction-free environment on this trip where it's four days where you take your phone away. We don't let you bring a camera. We don't let you do anything. You're doing something that you usually are not great at doing or don't do all the time. So it activates this like learner part of your brain. And then it's an immersive experience in nature. So it's like there's this combination of all those things that really opens people up. So there's been just so many incredible conversations we've had around the campfire with guys who are just, you know, having big life realizations during this trip. Or I'll get emails from guys, you know, six months later after a trip all the time who are just like, man, I I can't shake the trip. Like I can't get this thing out of my head that I picked up along that experience. Or sometimes it's the relationships there. You know, we have guys who like, they have like an annual reunion with the guys who went, they went on the trip with who are all strangers initially. So there's so many different wins that it's hard for me to like categorize one of them, but it moves me the most when these experiences are happening on the trips when I'm not even there. Like when my staff guys who I've trained up are delivering this like high touch hospitality experience for people that is fun and safe and dangerous and transformative all at the same time. That's awesome. All right. I, w- I want to just take a second though. I mean, one of the things that you had this thing on your heart for wilderness was to reshape the conversation for men. But I think so much was shaped in you when you decided to take your eyes off yourself and turn your eyes on your wife and her dream that she had. It almost gave you this revelation of like, okay, there's a lot that's stirring inside me here that I want to help other men. What would you say? Because the typical story is like, I'm a dude, I have a dream, my wife's here, she's going to support me, that whole thing. What would you say to the guys who are listening right now who maybe either have been focused on their dream or their wife has a dream? What advice or what would you say to them right now if you're sitting in front of them? Sure. You know, I would tell them that out of like, you know, I think I'm on business nine or 10 right now that I've started that are all have crashed and burned behind me. Uh, Most of that. No, they they all have their moments. (laughs) But, you know, so when people ask me, like, what's one of the things that like I'm the most proud of in my business career? 
it really like one of those things that has been the most personally impactful has been coming alongside Sarah and like helping get her dream off the ground. So like I said before, like it's just so good to take your eyes off your own dream and like pour as much energy as you can into someone else's, even if it's just for a season, you know, and there's definitely like that has ebbed and flowed for us, you know, but I, I think that was really, really important. Uh, Another thing is I'd say like take the little things that your wife, like the small dreams or what might seem like small seeds of a dream that your wife has, take those very seriously. You know, so if your wife keeps saying like, you know, I like, I've always wanted to start a little coffee shop and you're like, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, one day, and, you know, and then like a couple months later, you know, like I've been thinking about like I saw this space and it'd be fun. You're like, yeah, like maybe who knows? It's like if you keep not engaging your wife in her core dreams, then there will come a day where she stops telling you about them. And that's, that's not a day that you want. Right. Yeah. that's So good. like that dream that it starts as a seed that will just get smaller and smaller and smaller until it's gone. But I think the man's job in marriage is to like water that seed, right? And to do whatever you can within your own power to cultivate the dreams of your spouse. Because God's vision for marriage is multiplication. It's not one plus one. It's not my dream plus your dream. It's that when we combine our dreams together or combine our skills and our talents together, there's multiplication. And so I think when people get married, you need to throw away what your vision is for your life. And you need to say, okay, God, what is the vision you're calling us to together as one entity? Like, what is the impact you want us to have together? And it was cool for us. We truly didn't like mastermind it. We realized a couple years into it, we're like, oh, whoa, we're like speaking to identity for men and women. Like, yeah. that's what God has us doing right now to culture in a, two different rappers we're actually doing the same thing. But yeah, it wasn't like we had this like perfect masterminded thing. Like God brought us into that understanding. All that to say, I would say, take those small seeds very seriously. You know, so like it might be so small, like it's the kind of thing like your wife is like, feels like she doesn't have permission to voice. So then your role becomes like actually making an inquiry about that, you know, just dreaming together. Like, hey, if we, you know, if we didn't have these jobs or if we, you know, if if our life didn't look like what it looks like what will we do tomorrow you know and if if there's something there do what's in your power to cultivate that i would say that was so good wow well i think the piece that (laughs) makes me think about it if if for some reason she stops sharing her dreams with you then collectively as a couple the dreams that what your future looks like and your kids and and the things that maybe were the foundation what those will stop existing and those conversations will dry up and ultimately it leads to this life that's not truly life and so you know it's what you want so that's such a great such a great answer thank you so much yeah that's awesome so talk about a little bit more kind of along those lines how you guys practically support each other's dreams in the day-to-day so you're both busy you're running these two incredible companies you have a beautiful son that you're raising lots on your plate on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Talk practical for a little bit. What does your rhythm look like where you can support each other's work-life balance? That's always definitely hard. We've had seasons of feeling really out of whack and seasons of feeling really balanced. I think one thing that we have definitely started to practice this last almost year is waking up almost an hour before our son wakes up and just having time to, um, you know, read and pray and journal and talk and over coffee, um, you know, separately, but also together sometimes and just having that centering moment, you know, where you feel like you are connected and you feel like, you know, for us connecting to God in the morning is important to us and setting that as a tone for our day so that by the time your your child or your, or your kids wake up, they're not the ones waking you up and you're like, oh, another day, you're you're ready and you're centered on something good to face the day. And so we've tried to do that. And that's been amazing as well as just trying not to talk too much about our business, you know, over dinner or things like that. But we're also not against that because, you know, like we've been saying, those are our dreams, those are things you care about, but asking each other intentional questions, you know, what are you thinking about right now with your business? What are you excited about? What are you wanting to pursue? Because, you know, you have millions of phone calls and emails all day, both are different companies and and sectors so coming together and trying to 
pull out those highlights um, and then also just asking each other a lot of questions. We do that a lot. You know, what do you think of this? This person said this, or what do you think of this idea? Or what do you think of this design? And we really respect each other's opinions as well. And we've learned to be really diplomatic in the way that we give feedback to one another, you know, not being critical of ideas, but, you know, like Steve said, really listening, well, why do you feel like you should do that, you know, new idea or launch that new thing? And then just encouraging one another in that. And we find that, I mean, we're both very creative. And so we can also spur each other on a lot if we get into a conversation and come to something better, usually than what we had on our own. So that's my, do you have any additional thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think like like just really practical stuff, right? It's because we are both entrepreneurs running two different companies. So like when it comes to like raising our kid, you know, like there's a real like 50-50 kind of approach there. But also it's really tempting to like keep score. <laughs> and that is not helpful, <laughs> you know, to be like... <laughs> You know, to be like, well, I picked him up from school today, so you have to do it tomorrow. It's like, you know what? Like, if Sarah's got something important, to be like, hey, like, no, take that call, take that interview. You know, that that's there's like, you can either choose to be like for each other regardless and take the diplomatic approach that way, where it's like, how can there be like a win for both of us? How can I be flexible and like help you win in this? Or you can kind of always be like at odds, like, well, okay, but if you take that meeting, then like that throws off my day. But it's like being honest, be like, if it's okay for my day to be thrown off, then that's okay. You know? And so I think we've really tried our best to be highly communicative about that stuff. Like what worked last month might not work now, even in terms of, you know, okay, how many days a week do we get a nanny? Or like how many days a week do we want our kid in preschool or not? And like, We've changed that a lot along the way by being honest with each other and being like, hey, like I really need one more day in the office a week or I need one more half day of focus or like you needing like a day away to like work on creative work. And it's just staying. I mean, it's simple to just stay in communication about that. But yeah, I think to avoid that idea of keeping score is pretty huge because otherwise then you get so far down the road if you're like, well, this is more important because this company makes more money for our family. So therefore it's more important. Whereas like your thing is here and like, it just starts to fall apart, I think. So we're really fortunate that we have a high level of control over our time, but that can also make it where there's a higher level of communication that's required. Yeah, we also have like this kind of checkpoint phrase that we say called Team Steve or Team Sarah. And that's where if one person's really just focusing on themselves and you feel like they're like kind of off on a track and you're not at a team, I'm like, oh, is this like a Team Steve day? Or I'm like, oh, it's a Team Sarah day instead of Team <laughs> Steve and Sarah. So that's makes light of it a little bit. So it's not this angry check, you know, but sometimes like, oh, yeah, sorry, I've been really focused on this or like stressed about this. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, you know, because sometimes you just get in your own rhythm and, and zone. And so that's, that's something we use. It's kind of funny. Nice. That's so good. <clears throat> I love that. All right. And I know there's people listening going, wow, congratulations. You've built wilderness. You've built darling. <laughs> like it's, it's all happy and rainbows and sunshine, but there's also probably some listening like, but how did you pay your bills when you started these two companies? <laughs> and what was that like? And, and also what was the faith journey in that as well? So can you just, I'm excited for where you're at, but let's just talk about that from the beginning. That's real life. Sure. Yeah. So darling started on Kickstarter and then we slowly raised different angel investment funds, but that was not an easy road. And the whole journey of having a media company has not been an easy road financially, just to be totally honest. I mean, people can read about it in the news. You know, media companies are are hard to keep maintaining. And so for us, we've had a lot that we've had to do with that. I had, I think, three or four jobs, like side gigs while I was starting Darling for almost the first four years that I work and I could only work on it at night. Like that's that's real life, you know, when you have, when you're starting a business and, and we started both of our companies at the same time within our first year of marriage and, and wilderness was a different business model because it's a service industry. So it's been, you know, profitable from almost day one because it's like, we sell you this thing and you go on this, you know, so yeah. it's a very different yeah, type but, of model. But the volume was small. So like, sure. yeah, we kind of like originally, it's like we needed the stability of darling and then as that industry has changed, like now the stability of wilderness has like really helped us like kind of stay somewhat, you know, financially secure. But yeah, I mean, that has been like, that is the journey, I think, of an entrepreneur. And then it's 
multiplied when you're both doing it. Because like you said before, like most couples, it's like, okay, this person's got the solid job. This person's like messing around with their arts and crafts project. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, like, it's so real. Cross your fingers. Yeah. Like that's usually. But we were both like in there with the pipe cleaners and glue trying to like make it happen. Day and day. We're like, what are we doing with our lives? Like we were making every financially irresponsible decision. But we were making those with our eyes wide open. We were like, this is the time in life to push as hard as we can because we didn't have kids then. You know, we didn't have like this big impact, uh, like financially that we had to like, you know, like a big footprint. And so it was the time to push really hard. And we, we've kind of always traded, uh, prioritized experiences over security and stability, um, in that season of life. And obviously then that starts to change a little bit, but we've tried pretty hard to like keep that as like, kind of like our, our center focus, you know, like it certainly hasn't been that like making money has been like the biggest priority for us. I think making meaning has been a larger priority and the money side of it has been super challenging. And it really, that's where the faith journey comes in. And like, it's still challenging. I mean, like the last 12 months have been a very difficult journey for us in some ways in a business sense, but it has forced us to get really clear on why are we doing this? You know, if you add like eight years later, after you start something to have to ask yourself again, why are we doing this? And feel like you're reinventing some ways. Yeah. That's a good and hard exercise yeah. that is very much closely associated with like a faith journey, you know? Yeah. And feeling like that, you know, with both of our companies, we're just trying to, you know, help people feel loved by God and, you know, have strong identities. And so we feel like that is meaningful. And so we ask him to support that, you know, and then we try and trust and, and rest. So something that we practice is something called a, a seat of rest where when things feel crazier you start to feel really agitated and really worried about where is this going to come from we have all these bills all these things you know just sitting down and just resting and saying i'm just gonna stay here and i'm gonna choose peace and i'm gonna trust that god's gonna bring something about even while i'm asleep an email or a text or a relationship or something and just keeping your eyes wide open to those things and just listening and watching for them and not just always focusing on the problem, but having that hope and sitting in that place of just being relaxed and not, we all know that feeling of like, it starts to like come up into your chest and it's just like tight feeling. And whenever we get that, we're just like, you know, no, we sit in a place of rest and we don't worry about that as much as we can and that's been really hard but once you start to do it more and more and more it becomes more of a default and then you can remind each other of that as well oh that's so good that is gold right there i'm taking that i call that feeling in my chest a heart attack (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm having i think i think this is happening right now like no you're just an entrepreneur and you just need normal to go yeah Yeah, Yeah. totally normal totally normal Oh. And when you're an entrepreneur too, there's so many things that come out of nowhere, right? Where it's like, oh, this person emails me like, hey, remember you owe us 10 grand from, the, and you're like, oh yeah, it just comes out of nowhere all the time because you're doing so many different things that, yeah. you know, you, you forget or whatever. So you just have to be like, okay, that just came today. And I just got that text, you know, that I'm just going to set that aside and not worry right now. But mm-hmm. it's just, it's we have so many on today. Yeah. And, and I'm going to pray and I'm going to rest and oh, I, I, I got to get back in there. So it's I so love good. that. Oh, and along those lines, what are maybe one or to more of those practices. You talked about waking up an hour early before your son wakes up. You talked about practicing that rest instead of worry. What are some other practices that you guys have in your relationship or individually that help you stay centered and help you stay grounded while running these companies that can be so wonderful, but also a roller coaster ride at the same time? I think one other thing that really helps us is traveling and making sure that we're taking significant breaks. So, for example, this summer we're actually moving to Europe for a couple of months, doing a home swap with families over there. And we've been planning it for a long time and saving up for it and just saying, you know, we have had a hard last 12 months and we feel like we need a sabbatical and a reset and so that's a really hard thing to plan like when you think about something like that you're like oh it's just not gonna happen like that's just such a big adventure you know and you just want to give up but for the last eight months we've just been pushing and be like let's work on that at night let's figure it out let's set it aside so that we can have a time 
of inspiration and recharge because sometimes you can just go and just grind and grind and grind and grind and not actually taking a pause to say what yeah what are we doing how are we doing this together being in a different context you know we know that we're fortunate to do that because we are entrepreneurs but we're also having to plan a lot of things and a lot to hand off and you know it's, it's taking a lot of work but those things we feel like adventure and getting out of your comfort zone and seeing other things, other people, other cultures is really, really important for us. So we'll do that in small ways through camping or little weekend trips or things like that. But it's definitely a rhythm. I feel like we both hit that place where we're like, we have to get out. <laughs> That's kind of our number one thing when we get overwhelmed. It's just mm-hmm. like, let's just get out and reset. You know, no matter how much work it is to like pack the car for a whole weekend or for just a night, let's do it. Yeah. So that's one other thing that we do. Cool. Well, what a what a great trip. I mean, especially just a great way to show your son. Like, look, yeah. we we take adventures in this. Not not only is that part of like our jobs, but as a family, we're going on yep. an adventure. That's who we are. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a ton of work. Like, like we took Judah. We did three weeks in Japan when he was like what a year old. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, she was like a year old. Like it was like insane. Um, but like on paper, you're like, you know, it's like, why would you do that? He's never gonna remember that. That's what people think, right? Yeah. And my pushback to that is he may not remember that experience, but when he's old enough, we will show him those photos and say, Hey, you were there with us, and we are the type of family that like says yes, and we we will get out there and like we take these experiences because they're worthwhile to us and they change us right so i think it's it will be a part of his story even if he remembers it or not because then it's a part of like hey this is just the kind of family that we are you know like yeah it was tons of work and it would have been way easier to do it if he was like better at like walking in a straight line but (laughs) just walking period right (laughs) it's just the basics but it's like that doesn't always mean like oh don't do it yeah. You know, because then otherwise, then like we just don't want to be that family that's like, oh, like we got this long list of things that we kind of wished we checked off and we never did. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that's love so it. Huge. All right, well, we are getting ready to come to a close here, but we like to ask these three questions when we wrap the show up, and it goes like this: What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the younger you? So start with a book. What's a book that's changed your life? So for me, because I'm a writer and I believe that stories told through word pictures and really like creative writing have been lost, like actual beautiful writing through text and email and this kind of fast word culture. So I read a lot of Scott Fitzgerald, um, his short stories, like Tales of the Jazz Age has been one of my most impactful books for some reason. And it's just the most beautiful language and it's taught me how do you describe people and scenarios in ways that really put people there and impact them? And so that's how I write and communicate through our whole brand voice. So that's very impactful for me creatively, for sure. And then I would say actually one advice book is um, Growth Hacker Marketing is a really good book for just how do you touch on culture? How do you actually make your brand something that can be explosive and that is really I guess he just talks about how to make it heartfelt and connect to people without, you know, having to spend a ton of money on marketing. That I can't remember the author. I'm sorry, but maybe um, we'll look it up. Yeah, up. yeah, that's one of my favorites. That's and then great. go ahead for your book. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like good books I could recommend. I'm trying to think critically about like what's a book that has actually changed my life. Yeah, like even one. I remember, you know, Don Miller's book Blue Like Jazz, which was a huge hit. That was one of the first times because I grew up in, you know, in the church and kind of in the machine of Christianity. And that was one of the first times that I had felt like I was reading. I was encountering like God's heart for culture and for people in a language that I had never read it in before. There was just like an honesty and a creativity and like a free format to it. So like that inspired me to like do that in my own way. So that book helped inspire me for that. From a business perspective and brand building, there's so many. But one guy I keep coming back to is an author called Harry Beckwith. He's got a book called What Clients Love. He's got one called The Invisible Touch. And those books are incredible. But at the back of, I think it's What Clients Love, there is a checklist Mm -hmm. of questions for brands. That is 
unbelievable. I have it photocopied and in a filing cabinet. We just returned to it last year, a year ago, when we kind of like the rug pulled out from under us a little bit business-wise. And man, it is good stuff for helping find your true north. So the, the book was great. There's this checklist of these different questions that for anyone who's st- thinking about starting a brand, like it's just gold. Nice. That's awesome. Blue like jazz. Like most of my life, I never even read books. <laughs> like it was just a thing. <laughs> Me right. and books were not like we, audibles changed my life, but I had, <laughs> you know, like, but I had yeah. blue like jazz on my shelf for a year and didn't know what it was. I had somebody sent it to me and I sat down and I was like, oh, let me read this book, blue like jazz and two days blew my mind. Yeah. It Transformed great. the way I see the world, just like you talk about. So, so good. Um, yeah. Love it. Love that answer. All right. What's a habit that's changed your life? My habit would definitely be waking up an hour before I need to get ready, half hour sometimes, um, and just having that quiet time. It's been so impactful for me because you just wake up and you're checking your phone and looking at your texts and your emails. I try to not even look at my phone, wake up, put on my bathrobe, make coffee, light a candle, sit down, read, journal, pray, do that. It's just, it's so great. And I think that it's really, really necessary um, because in every day you're just starting out on the right foot. That's good. Yeah, I'm bad at habits. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish I was better. He's an Enneagram seven. So yeah, he, I'm you a guys full, both seven. I'm like type seven with a seven wing. <laughs> um, I can see that. So so that's okay. tough for me. But that that would be the same habit. If I like, what's like the one habit I've cultivated for like twenty years of my life, and I have you know seasons of it being very easy obviously when you have like a tiny terrorist living in your house like a two-year-old you know it's like not as easy but um i love it he's the best you know know, when when you have kids like those things can change so you have to have grace on yourself and be like okay i used to be awesome at this and now we're figuring out how to make it make it through but yeah that has been the most important habit in my life for sure yeah that's good. good All right, and what advice would you give to the younger you? Oh, I mean, there's a lot, but like if I think like really what advice would matter, I think that I should have had better legal counsel in my life <laughs> and financial counsel in my life. So like I didn't go to college and oh, I did one year of university and then I dropped out and started doing stuff. Um, <laughs> but I actually wish, like, I hate finance and, like, I'm not wired for it, but, like, I wish that I'd had a better understanding of business finance and a better understanding of deal making, right? So, like, what, like, a good lawyer will do for you. Like, if I think about, like, the first couple, like, deals we did with our initial investors, like, me and my business partner, the first few businesses I started, I'm just like, you know what? Even though we were, like, 20 and it was, like, the opportunity of a lifetime to have, like, these investors pouring cash into our ideas we could have been better protected and I'm not jaded at all by those experiences. However, I have started over a lot in my life with nothing, you know, built something up, had it kind of crashed down and had really like nothing. And then had to do that over and over and over again, nothing but the knowledge. So I'm grateful for that. But I think that there could have been um, a bit more, yeah, I wish I had had like e- either like a mentor in those areas or kind of a counterpart in that or something like that. So that's good. That's good advice, especially as a creative, right? So it's like I just like, wasn't even really thinking about that. I would say that just to not compare or not let that thought that mm. oh somebody else already did that, so I'm not going to do it. I think that's what held me back for like three years, you know, and Steve was the one that said, just do that. And I think specifically speaking to women, this is more of a point for the women listening, that there's a lot of that that happens. And, you know, and you also just, you know, statistically, like a lot of more men start businesses and get investment. And I think that part of that is, you know, different biases and things that are unhealthy. But I think it's because also a lot of women don't push for things too. Um, Part of it is, is on us to be, strong and be confident and not be comparing yourself constantly and what you're building and saying, oh, well, they're doing that. And then not letting every time you see someone else's success, 
belittle your lack of success or where you're at, but letting someone else's success inspire you, saying that as people, we should be on one another's team. So you see someone else's success almost as your success because we're on team human, you know? Yeah. And instead of that idea of comparison, oh, that girl's company, like she's doing way more brand deals than me, or she's making more money, or she just bought a house or this and that. It's so easy to get caught up in that and let you just get discouraged for what you're doing, but you have to really stay in your lane and connect back to your vision and just keep slowly building. And I remember I was reading an interview with the founder of Vice Media Company, and they said, you know, why are you a $5 billion company? And he said, because I just wouldn't stop and I never gave up. And that just slow building, something slow and steady and healthy can grow into a massive empire. You know, so these days, a lot of rapid businesses that shoot up, a lot of them crash too. So you can't watch those things and let any of that discourage you because you don't know the future and you just have to keep going slow. And so that's what I do with Darling and with Wilderness. We're like, let's build steady, small, great businesses and just let those grow and not be obsessed with it's not happening now. And we don't have enough money now. And look at these people doing this and that. That's just such a trap. And I think if you really want to be successful, you just slowly build and be okay with that. That's so huge. I love that. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here with us today. Where can people find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Uh, darlingmagazine.org and at Darling on Instagram. And my personal is Lady Dubs, which is feminine version of Double Dam. And yeah, uh, my website's wildernesscollective.com. But, but I mean, best place to follow along is on Instagram, just at wilderness. I don't know how we both got those words, but yeah. Got it, got it, got in early. Nailed it. <laughs> Keep uh, keep on keeping on. Really excited for your time in Europe. Really, yeah. really excited for that for you guys. So thank you so much for being here today, guys. Thank you. Thank great. you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I'm ready to go on a motorcycle into the wilderness. <laughs> Me too. I'm <laughs> yeah. jumping on Come the back on, of your Let's motorcycle. Go. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Guys, we hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did. And we would love to hear from you. Take a minute to leave us a review on iTunes. Hit us up on our website, letsliveitwell.com, or come and find us on social media. And also, you can find all the information for today's episode and all the books and links mentioned in the show notes over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. All right, guys, we are having a blast. We hope you are as well as we learn every single week from amazing people like Steve and Sarah. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. We're going to close it out like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.